The following Bible lesson and other Bible information can be found on the official Dean Bible Ministries website. That's found at www.deanbible.org. That's www.deanbible.org. Or write to Dean Bible Ministries Incorporated. That's at address 5868 Westheimer. W-E-S-T-H-E-I-M-E-R, number 461, Houston, Texas, 77057. Dr. Dean is the pastor of West Houston Bible Church. And now, here's Dr. Dean with the Bible lesson. We're introducing a new segment of our morning worship service, and that's the reading of Scripture. The Apostle Paul encouraged... Timothy is a young pastor to publicly read the scriptures. So we're going to add, have, add scripture reading each Sunday morning. The scripture I chose this morning is from Psalm 34. We're talking about prayer. We've been studying prayer the last couple of weeks, and this is a, a prayer of thanksgiving. Psalm 34, 1 through 10. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Let's stand together and we'll sing hymn number 136, the first Noel. Scripture says, As every man purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a generous, grace-oriented giver. Giving is a responsibility of every believer priest. It's part of our uh, function as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ, as giving supplies the financial base for the operation of the local church, as well as support for missions. I'm going to have the men come forward, and then we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives, for the way that you supply all of our needs, for the fact that you take care of uh, everything for us and everything that we have, uh, materially and spiritually, and every, every aspect is from you. And so, Father, these gifts simply reflect our gratitude for all of your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we've been studying the last two weeks on the subject of what the Bible teaches about prayer, one of the first principles we understood is that Scripture teaches that if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. As a result of that, it's important for the believer to 
uh, cleanse his soul from sin, which comes as a result of simply confessing, which means to admit or acknowledge any known sin to God. And at that instant, the Scripture says that we are forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. So we always begin our time of study with a few moments of silent prayer to give you the opportunity to use 1 John 1, 9 if necessary, and then I'll open in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, again, we express our thanks, our gratitude for your grace in our lives, especially and above all for the gift of salvation which comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that as we study your word this morning, that your word that expresses his thinking, expresses to us your plans, your purposes. Father, we pray that we might be able to understand these things and that God the Holy Spirit would make them clear to us and that we would not take these things lightly, but we would be challenged and strengthened in our own Christian life as a result of this teaching. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're continuing our study on basics for the Christian life. The series is entitled Foundation for Living. Not just the foundation for life, which focus more on salvation, but the ongoing foundation for, for spiritual growth that gives us that maturity where we can experience the full abundance of life that was promised by the Lord Jesus Christ. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have two roles that we fulfill. One is our priesthood. The other is our ambassadorship. So we're starting to look at the aspects of our priesthood. What does it mean? What does it entail that we're a believer priest? And the first aspect of that is that as a believer priest, we are able to go directly before the throne of God. This is unique to the church age dispensation. It was not true in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a formal priesthood based on descent from Aaron and those within the Levitical tribe. But in the New Testament, in the church age, every believer is a priest to God. That means that we are able to represent ourselves before God and to go directly before his throne of grace in prayer. So we began on prayer a couple of weeks ago. And we defined it by saying that prayer is that grace provision of the royal priesthood whereby the church-age believer has access and privilege to communicate directly with God and that the purpose of this communication is to acknowledge our sin, express adoration and praise to God, to give thanks, to intercede for others, and to convey to God our personal needs, petitions, as well as to conduct intimate conversations with God. It's a lengthy definition, but it incorporates all the different aspects of prayer, including the basic elements of prayer, and emphasizing that it is fundamentally just communication with God. And this is a priority for the believer. So we looked at this in terms of five different subject headings. The priority of prayer where we saw that the Lord Jesus Christ himself, even though he's not a sinner, he sets the example for us, and he put a priority in in prayer, and he spent lengthy periods of time in isolation and in prayer. We talked about the prerequisites of prayer last time, recognizing that only a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ can come to the Lord in prayer, because Sin has separated man from God. 
the only prayer that God hears from the unbeliever is a prayer that somehow expresses his desire to know more about God. Scripture makes it clear that even for the believer who is out of fellowship, who regards iniquity in his heart, who is unrighteous, who is ignoring the word, that that sin in the life breaks fellowship with God and hinders prayer. The third topic we're looking at is the procedures for prayer, which is the focus this morning, as well as a review of basic principles for prayer, and then we'll cover a few basic promises uh, for prayer in the Scriptures. Last time we talked some about procedures for prayer, and there are three. First of all, all prayer is addressed to God the Father. It is not the focus of prayer to pray to either God the Holy Spirit or to God the Son. One of the reasons for that is, as we'll see in a minute, both the uh, Son and the Spirit intercede for us with the Father. Scripture clearly teaches in numerous places that prayer is to be directed uh, toward the Father. Matthew 6, 9, Ephesians 3, 14, and 1 Peter 1, 17, just to name three. Second, we pointed out that the channel of approach to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ is our royal high priest. We are come to come to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. So we address our prayers to the Father in the name of the Son, and we come in the power of God the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 6:18. So in terms of basic protocol for prayer, we pray to the Father through the Son and by means of God the Holy Spirit. Then we began to look last time at some of the basic elements of prayer. And I said that there are four, and I use the acronym CATS, C-A-T-S, in order to remember these elements of prayer. C stands for confession. The A stands for adoration, praise, The T stands for thanksgiving, expressing our gratitude to God for what he has done for us. And then S stands for supplication. Supplication is when we are presenting prayers to God, asking him to uh, intercede in the lives of others, or we are presenting petitions on our own behalf. So C-A-T-S summarizes prayer. Now, prayers can can include all four dimensions. Or they can just be prayers that focus on one. You can have prayers that are simply confession. You can have prayers that are simply directed towards praise and adoration. You can have prayers that are simply prayers of gratitude or prayers of thanksgiving. And you can have other prayers that simply focus on specific needs and specific situations with regard to others, interceding for others, or in our own lives. Prayers can be very short, as we'll see, or they can be very long. Now, if you want to find biblical models for prayers, the place to go is in the Psalms, because many of the Psalms were uh, expressed the prayers of the writer, usually David, but there are many other prayers in the Psalms that are either we, either we don't know who wrote them or they are by other individuals. So as we looked at this last time, we went over the principle of 
of uh, confession, the importance of being in fellowship with the Lord. This is something we've gone over so many times, we don't need to belabor it, but I'll just remind you and those who are visitors, Psalm 66:18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That word translated regard has the idea of seeing. If I observe, if I look inside and I see that there is sin in my uh, life, then the Lord will not hear me. Sin breaks that fellowship with God. Another passage, I listed several more last time, but I just picked these two for review. Proverbs 15:29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. In other words, if, no matter how religious somebody may be, no matter how sincere they may be, uh, no matter how devout they may be, God doesn't hear their prayers unless they're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're out of fellowship, then God's not going to hear you, your prayers. And that being out of fellowship can sometimes involve ongoing behavioral sins that you're just not dealing with. And we have a particular verse that I was asked about last time that deals with one of those instances. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them. That is, the context is talking about your wives. Uh, Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. That means that Men, you are to have respect and honor towards your wives. You are to treat them well. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of God. Just because the man is in the authority position in the home, and just because the man is the spiritual leader in the home, does not mean he is better, does not mean he is... Uh, superior to the wife. In many cases, there are women who are much more squared away spiritually than their husbands are. Nevertheless, he's the one designated as the spiritual leader in the home. So the husband is to honor the wife as the weaker vessel and being heirs together the grace of life. Why? That your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, men... If you are not treating your wife well, according to Scripture, if you're not being the spiritual leader in the home, if you do not respect her, if you are not providing that that uh, grace orientation and impersonal and personal love towards your wife, then that is hindering your prayer life. So you need to not only deal with that in terms of confession, but there also needs to be some behavioral changes that go along with that. Otherwise, you just keep bouncing back out of fellowship and you don't get anywhere in your prayer life or your spiritual life. The solution, as I stated earlier, is in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, which means to admit or acknowledge our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, that is, what we admitted to, but His grace is such that He cleanses us from all the other sins we committed, whether we remember them Whether we realize they were sins or not, God forgives us, wipes the slate clean so that we are restored to fellowship. And there's a couple of promises in the Old Testament that uh, almost everyone should memorize because one of the greatest 
hindrances in moving forward in the Christian life after you have committed certain sins that you just feel weighed down by and guilty over is that once you admit those sins to God, you need to realize you're cleansed and move forward and not feel guilty about it. It's been dealt with. It's over with. And God has uh, wiped away those sins. If he, um, in Isaiah 43:25, God says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And again, Psalm 103:12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So at that instant of cleansing from sin, we can move forward in our spiritual life and do not be weighed down by guilt or remorse, but focus on the objective of spiritual maturity. That covers that first aspect of prayer, confession. So the acronym C-A-T-S, the second aspect is adoration. This is where we focus on the grandeur of God and we express His magnificence by focusing on who He is and what He has done. A simple way to do this when you pray is just to think through the essence of God. Think about God as the Creator, as the Sovereign God. Then think about Him in terms of His righteousness. Think about Him in terms of His justice. Think about how that is expressed in history, how it's expressed in your life, how it's expressed in the life of those around you. Focus on His love, starting with how it's expressed through the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Then other ways in which God demonstrates His love for us in so many different ways. You could think about all the different things that God provides for every single believer at the instant of salvation. And just focus on those. Take two or three of those at a time and then just when you are praising God in prayer, just thanking Him and focusing on what He has done and what that means. You can go through all of the various attributes of God and then think about how those attributes have been expressed historically and biblically. You find numerous examples of that as you read through the Psalms. And it's very important for believers, I think, to read through the Psalms because the writers of the Psalms are in many cases pouring out their hearts to God. They're in the midst of crises. They're in the midst of adversity. They're struggling with the same basic issues of life that we all struggle with. And as we read through those psalms, we are reminded of many promises and principles that we too can can apply in those same uh, circumstances, those same situations. In fact, I would encourage you to read through certain psalms that are called Praise Psalms. There are different classifications of Psalms in the in the Old Testament. Some Psalms are praise Psalms and they focus primarily on simply extolling the grandeur and the majesty of God. And in praise Psalms you usually find three elements. These are in, in begin usually with a call to praise where the psalmist is calling upon the people of God to praise God and to worship Him. Then there is a development of the cause for praise. So you have a call call to praise, a challenge to people to praise God, followed by the cause for praise because God has done this or done that in history or in my life or in the lives of those around me. And so in the cause for praise, the psalmist provides the reason 
for the praise. And then there is a conclusion, which is a challenge or exhortation to all those around to praise the Lord. That's what the word hallelujah means, and it's been diminished so much because people just use it and trivialize it. It's almost become a cliche, but that's the actual word that you find in the Hebrew in many of these passages. Hallelujah is from the Hebrew word hallel, meaning praise, and then the, the hallelu, the, that you there, is the second person plural imperative, which is translated y'all praise, and then the yah at the end is for the name of God, Yahweh. Hallelu means y'all praise, Yahweh, y'all praise God. And when people say that so often, they don't even know what it means. But it is a call to praise God and to focus on what He has done. Some psalms that you might want to look at and to think through in prayer are Psalm 19, Psalm 33, Psalm 36, Psalm 105, Psalm 111, Psalm 113, Psalm 117, and Psalm 135. There are other praise psalms, but those are just a few that you could read through to gain an understanding of how biblical praise is expressed. I'll go over those again. Psalm 19, 33, 36, 105, 111, 113, 117, and 135. Psalm 19 is one that breaks down similar to the way I expressed it a few minutes ago. And I'll just turn there for a minute and we'll use that as one illustration of a praise psalm. It begins with the uh, cause for praise. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows His handiwork. The firmament is the atmosphere or the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom, coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. See, what he's doing is he's looking at the heavens and the, the glories and the magnificence of God's creation. And he says this is reason to praise because of how God has structured the universe and from all of the details that we see within the universe. So this is the cause for praise. And then he focuses, he moves from that cause to praise to the person and the character of God, starting in verses, or excuse me, yeah, verses 7 through 11, where the focus is on His glory and power. The law of the Lord is perfect, and it, it's focusing on how God has revealed Himself to us. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Notice the different ways in which he describes the word of God. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So he focuses on the revelation of God's character, the revelation of his the revelation of his glory, the revelation of his person in the Word of God. Then we have a conclusion in verses 12 through 14, and the conclusion drives past the reality of God and the grandeur of God to a personal application. It says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. See how we start off praising God, focusing on a cause for praise as we look at His grandeur and His majesty as expressed by His work in the universe. Then it moves from that to His glory and essence and person and power as revealed to us in the Scripture. And as the psalmist moves through the praise, it drives him to a personal realization about who God is and who He is in relationship to God. And there's a direct application that if God is this magnificent being who created everything and He has revealed to us all of this in His Word, then that necessitates certain action on my part. And so that is the focus there. The Scriptures are not just uh, about man, but about God. The more you focus on who God is and what He has done, the more it drives us to change who we are and what we do. Psalm 117 is the shortest psalm in the Old Testament, and it's a praise psalm. So praise doesn't have to be lengthy. Psalm 117, 1 and 2 says simply, Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud Him, all peoples, for His loving kindness. See, there's a call to praise in verse 1. Praise the Lord, all the nations. Lord, laud Him, all peoples. And then there's the cause for praise. For His loving kindness, that is His chesed, His faithful, loyal love, is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. And then there's a final concluding exhortation, praise the Lord. So this is a praise psalm. This is a prayer, just a very simple, short prayer. So we go from confession of sin to adoration of God, focusing on who He is, what He has done, and then there's prayers of thanksgiving. Prayers of thanksgiving which express our gratitude to God for all that He has done for us. And unfortunately, at a simple or superficial level, what we often find people focusing on in prayers of gratitude is the material things that He has provided for us. Now, that's important. I'm not belittling that. We need to be thankful. We need to recognize that everything that we have is from the Lord. The air we breathe, the clothes we wear, the houses we live in, the cars we drive, uh, the civilization in which we live, the country in which we live, the freedoms we have, all of those, but beyond that, we need to delve into the Scriptures to find out the depths and the breadth of everything God's done for us. The, the, the 40 things that God does for us at the instant of salvation should be a focus of our meditation and our thought, realizing everything that God has given us, that He has blessed us with 
every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And we, we can't really even number all of these blessings. And as we think them through, we need to think about what they are, what that particular aspect means in our life, and then how that drives us to live differently as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then we give thanks for what God has provided uh, for us. Romans one twenty one tells us that the, part of the problem with the unbeliever is their lack of gratitude because that goes along with arrogance. Romans one twenty one says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. That is typical of the pagan mindset, is not to give thanks. It's, it's arrogance. It's self-absorption. But we are, as believers, to continually give thanks, to be oriented to the fact that God is giving us everything. Every detail comes from the Lord. Even those things that, that we think aren't real pleasant, even the tests, even the adversity, even the hardship. Scripture says, for all things and in all things we are to give thanks. For example, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything, that is, in every situation, every circumstance, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's always a big question. I think younger folks have that question more than older folks do, but, but it's one you wrestle with uh, sometimes in the Christian life, is what's God's will for my life? And here you have these passages such as 1 Thessalonians, 518 that focus directly on God's will. Give thanks in everything. Ephesians 5.20 Always giving thanks for all things. See, it's not only in everything, but it's for everything. Now, that gets a little rugged sometimes for most, most of us because we go through situations and we have to go to work with folks and we have to live with folks and we have to put up with people and situations and circumstances that... Uh, We'd rather just uh, wallow around in our sin nature and be bitter and angry about, but the Scripture says we need to be grateful for those things. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even to the Father. 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God who always leads us in His triumph in Christ. So that first reference to God, again, is to the Father. These are verses that support the point that prayer is directed to the Father, not the Son or the Holy Spirit. But thanks be to God who gives us the, who always leads us in His triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. So thanksgiving is a way of glorifying God as we recognize who we are. It's an expression of grace orientation. It's an expression of our lack of arrogance and our recognition that God has provided everything for us as creatures. You can go to some of the Psalms to look up Thanksgiving Psalms. That's another category of Psalm. You have praise Psalms and you have Thanksgiving Psalms. Some Thanksgiving Psalms you might read through are Psalm 30, uh, Psalm 32, Psalm 34, which we read some from this morning, Psalm 40. Psalm 92, Psalm 100, Psalm 105, Psalm 107, Psalm 118. I'll go over those again for you. Psalm 30, 32, 34, 40, 92, 100, 105, 107, 
118. There are many more Thanksgiving Psalms, but those are just a few that will uh, give you an orientation to how the Bible gives us examples for giving thanks or expressing thanks to God. And so we've looked at confession, we've looked at adoration, thanksgiving, and now supplication. This is what most folks think prayer is all about. It's just going to God and asking for something, like he's some cosmic Santa Claus or or a, a giant genie that if you just rub him the right way or say things the right way or repeat the right prayer the same way enough times that somehow God is going to give you everything on your wish list. And one of the most horrible, egregious, distracting, confusing, misleading books that has come out in recent years was one that was extremely popular, hit the bestseller list and crossed over onto the, even made the New York Times bestseller list and it was called The Prayer of Jabez. And sadly to say, it was by a man who uh, I've met before and has produced many good works, but was a graduate of Dallas Seminary and he just completely and egregiously uh, destroyed this concept of prayer and focused on this prayer of this one individual in the Old Testament and said, now if you prayed this prayer day in and day out every day, then God is going to give you everything that, that you pray for. And that wasn't even the context. He just ripped the whole verse out of context, which is one of the uh, major errors with many alleged prayer promises, is that folks don't look at the context surrounding the promise. And so that can lead to misunderstanding and misapplication. Supplication, as I said earlier, includes two aspects. Intercession for others and petition for oneself. God obviously makes intercession a priority to pray for others, to put others before ourselves. It's part of the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 17, we have an example of His high priestly prayer for us. That's the real Lord's Prayer, not the prayer over in Matthew. That was really a model prayer for the disciples in a different dispensation. But John 17 gives us Jesus' prayer as, a, as our high priest and shows the kinds of things that he is continually praying for on our behalf. So we understand that Jesus Christ intercedes for us, and this is affirmed in Romans 8.34, where we read, he is the one, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, Rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Now, the reason it says also in that verse, in verse 34, is because about ten verses earlier in Romans 8, 26, and 27, we're told about the intercession of God the Holy Spirit. So, not only does the Lord Jesus Christ intercede for us, but as we'll see in a moment, so does the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 7, 24, and 25, one of the great expositions of the priesthood of Jesus Christ states, but he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Hence also, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. No matter what state you're in, whether you're in fellowship, out of fellowship, in rank carnality, whatever your circumstance, Jesus Christ is always interceding for you at the right hand of God the Father.
So intercession is a primary part of his priestly ministry. It's a primary part of our priestly ministry. We are exhorted and challenged in Scripture to pray for one another. Not only does the second person of the Trinity intercede for us, but so does the first person of the Trinity. This is a verse that, in fact, I was asked a question about this verse this last week. Romans 8.26 says, And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. And the word here, translated weakness, is a word that indicates spiritual weakness. That, that sometimes we just feel overwhelmed by circumstances and situations, adversity and suffering, and we don't know quite how to handle it. And it is God the Holy Spirit who is our strength and stay and enables us in our weakness. Why? For we do not know how to pray as we should. Interesting point. We really don't have enough knowledge to know properly what to pray for. We think we do, but this scripture states we don't know exactly what to pray for. We get in circumstances, we just feel overwhelmed. We don't know exactly what to pray for. So we have an assistant, a comforter, a a paraclete, John uses that term, Jesus uses the term in John 14. The Spirit himself intercedes for us, with groanings too deep for words. Actually, that's a uh, poor translation in the New King James. What it says in the Greek is that when we have, when when we're just overwhelmed and we just have these, all we can do is just groan. We can't even articulate the adversity and the suffering in our own lives, and we're just coming before the Lord. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who specifically understands what's going on, and he is able to put that into words. He is able to express specifically and precisely uh, what the need is and what the solution is. It is not prayer language. This is the error that the charismatics come, come up with, that this is some kind of special prayer language and that that's what tongues is. And so they'll, they often go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and try to justify that. And, and I've had conversations with charismatics and I'll say, well, my prayers are just so much more effective when I pray in tongues. I said, well, do you know what you pray for? Well, no, I don't. I, I really don't. Well, then how do you know it's more effective? So they're more concerned, though, with the emotion of it all. We are to pray for one another, James tells us in James 5.16. Pray for one another that you may be strengthened. So we've looked at Confession, adoration, thanksgiving, and supplication. These are the four elements that comprise all prayers, but any prayer can be just one of those four. It doesn't have to include every one of them. Now, before we wrap up on our study of prayer, I want to deal with two misconceptions. Two misconceptions on a couple of verses, and then we'll review with some basic principles and promises. Matthew 18:19. You might wish to turn there with me in your Bible. Matthew 18:19 is a verse that I often hear folks recite and use as a prayer verse. Matthew 18, verse 19. Again, I say, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on any on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. 
Verse 20 goes on to say, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And so you find a couple of interesting misconceptions here. Number one is if two or more people can agree with prayer, and you'll hear people use that language, agree with me in prayer, we'll go to the Father and he's got to do it. Okay? And then the second verse is where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ indwells every believer. You don't have to get with another believer or two other believers for Jesus Christ to be present. He is just as present with one believer as he is with three or four. Let's examine the context quickly. It's dealing with church discipline or a a disciplinary situation where you have one believer that has offended another believer. Verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. One-on-one, keep it private. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Then the next verse says, But if he doesn't, if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. That quote is a principle from the Mosaic Law. So if you won't listen by yourself, then take others who can confirm your conversations. And if he refuses to listen, then tell it to the church. We're not going to deal with that. But then you go to skip down to verse 19, where it says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything, what's the, who are the two? The two are the witnesses to the conversation, to the attempt to reconcile with this offending brother. This is not talking where any two believers get together. This is talking about when you have a situation, a formal situation, where you're trying to go through a reconciliation with someone who is causing problems or disturbances in life. You go privately. That doesn't work out. You take two or three others that can be confirming witnesses. And Jesus says in verse 18 to the disciples, in relation to their apostolic authority, assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That was rabbinical terminology for, for whatever you accept or whatever you reject. And again I say, if two of you agree on anything, on what? On whether or not this person is to be uh, dealt with in judgment or accepted in grace. That's what the context is talking about. It is not talking about uh, prayer. It is talking about a circumstance of judgment. The other verse that is one that's important to understand is Matthew 6, verse 7. Matthew 6, verse 7 says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. Now, this is not talking necessarily about formal prayer. In fact, I think that some of the prayers that are written in Scripture were prayers that were formal and written out ahead of time. That's, that's sort of a myth. Some people say, well, we ought to just pray extemporaneously, and that's fine. But if you look at some of the prayers in Scripture, it's obvious that a lot of thought went into those prayers. They went back and they went through various Old Testament passages and crafted a prayer and wrote it down and then prayed it. Uh, The Puritans were tremendous at this. The problem you get into is when that's all you do is formal written prayers and it becomes rote and you take certain prayers of Scripture like the disciples' prayer or some other prayers and just say them over and over and over again where it really has no meaning. That would apply here. But the word that's used in the Greek, batalogia, has an even more significant sense to it. Bata was an was a onomatopoeic word for the Greeks that would describe the 
unknown language of the barbarians. And to them, they had had no meaning, so it just sounded like all they said was bada 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 bada. So it was speaking in meaningless sounds. Gee, isn't that what they do when they try to pray in tongues? Just speak in meaningless sounds. This is a verse that just completely destroys the concept that there is prayer language. And that is a term that, and, and that was a practice that the Greeks did and the Gentiles did when they went into various temples in the ancient world. There was this glossolalic uh, experience that was encountered in the temples and that the priests and priestesses of the false gods would practice. So Matthew 6 7 is dealing directly with that. Okay, let's wrap up with a few principles. Number one, remember, prayer is the most powerful asset in the believer's spiritual life. God gives you direct access to His throne to come before Him immediately in any and every situation and circumstance in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of God the Holy Spirit. Second, prayer is a tremendous privilege that brings us directly into the throne room of God in the presence of the Creator of heaven and earth and all that is in them. It is a, do not take it lightly. Do not treat it insignificantly. This is a privilege that no one had, not every believer had prior to the church age. It is a tremendous privilege. Third, prayer demands concentration and thought. You read the prayers of the Scripture and you realize that these men sat down and poured over the Scriptures. You look at Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 when he is praying for Israel's uh, recovery and to t- be brought back into the land after being taken out of the land in discipline during the Babylonian captivity. And he is pouring through Jeremiah and he's taking Scripture and promises that God has made and putting them together to build his petition to God. So prayer demands concentration and thought. There may be times when we are in emotional circumstances because of suffering, adversity. You certainly see that in many of David's prayers that he is, he is distraught or he's angry or he's, he's fearful. And so you may be in an emotional circumstance, but that's not the focus of prayer. Prayer relies on doctrine and fact and not emotion and feeling. Fourth point, prayer should be the highest priority in your life after learning Bible doctrine. Prayer, to be effective, is based on knowledge. So the first priority is to learn the Word, and the second priority is prayer. It's communication to God. God's revelation to us is through His Word. It's His communication to us. We communicate back to Him through prayer. So that creates a two-way conversation. So you have learning the Word of God as God initiates communication to us, and then we pray back to Him. So if intercession is the highest priority for the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit for believers, then it should be at the top of our priority list. Fifth point, as believers, our prayers fail because we fail in our spiritual lives. We don't understand the will and the plan of God. We pray in ignorance. Remember, God always answers prayer. God says yes, no, and wait a while. Sometimes after he says wait a while, he says no. But God always answers, just real simple. It's yes, no, or wait a while. A couple of promises. 
Jeremiah 33, 3, one of my favorite prayer promises, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Prayer is an expression of the faith rest drill where we trust God and we need to be a people who trust God to provide great things because that's what He has promised. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it shall be opened. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, And this is the confidence that we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. The important phrase there is according to His will. That means you have to know the Word to be able to know how to pray correctly and effectively. John 14, 13 and 14, Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. And then in John 16, 23 and 24, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father, notice, you pray to the Father, in my name, He will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Prayer is foundational to our priesthood. It is a primary privilege of the believer's priesthood to go before the throne of grace immediately and instantly. Let's bow our heads together and we'll close in prayer. Please remember that after I close in prayer that we are going to have a a congregational meeting. So those of you who are not voting members are, you know, you're welcome to stay and to observe, but only those who are formal members are able to vote on these uh, changes to our Constitution. We'll take about five minutes. People can shuffle around and then we'll begin our congregational meeting. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your grace, your goodness, your kindness. We thank you for your word that reveals uh, everything about you to us. Father, we thank you that uh, you have provided us with a gracious salvation that is not based on who we are or what we do, but it's based on who you are and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That he died there, not as an example, not to... uh, Uh, demonstrate your governmental authority, but he died as our substitute. He paid the penalty for our sins. He paid the penalty for every single sin in human history, past, present, and future, so that all that is necessary for us to be saved is to trust in him, to rely upon his work and not our work, to believe that he died for us. Scripture says this is the only condition for salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Father, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that's unsure of their salvation or uncertain of their eternal destiny, that they will take this opportunity to trust in Christ. All that is necessary for you to have eternal life is to believe in Him. At the instant you put your faith alone in Christ alone, God the Father knows exactly what you are trusting in. And at that instant you receive the imputation of righteousness, you're declared just, you receive eternal life which can never be taken from you. Now, Father, we pray that you will challenge us in our prayer lives with the things that we have studied, that we may have 
uh, greater, richer prayers with you as we advance in our understanding of our priesthood and ambassadorship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.